You know, it's, it's a daily challenge just like everybody else that owns a business or is in high executive positions where some nights you got the 7 p.m. night and, you know, or, or the 9 p.m. night because you got to get the proposal out or whatever it may be. Get stuck on a job. However, I've seen fitness and nutrition as the foundation of my life. And the way I take care of it is that I firmly believe we have to fill up our own cup first before we can pour it out into other people. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today I get to have the pleasure of interviewing Patrick Robertson, a young guy, third generation contractor that's hustling out in New York, generating crazy amounts of revenue in the construction business but is starting to think about how to leverage these skills in the real estate investing world. Patrick, thank you for coming on today. And this time, we always start off with the craziest story in real estate, but since you're building houses and working houses, what's the craziest story you've experienced as a, as a contractor? I, you know, things happen every single day on job sites. I, I've seen it where people have torn slabs and forgot to put the under slab piping in there, right? So now we're chopping out slabs in a fully framed house to lay the, the waste pipes or the water pipes for bathrooms. And then on the flip side, so that's like the minute details on the other side, I've seen $750,000 lawsuits because of non-payment, right? So it's both of those have the immediate, oh my God, what do I do here? And it's, it's at all fronts in construction, something new on all sides. Yeah. So, and you're mostly in the custom building sector is that correct yeah yeah so we do a lot of custom stuff um and higher end residential so we do a lot of additions and remodeling right now and basically what that means is every time we step onto the job site it's going to be a different pro process right it might be a similar skill but it's a new condition every single time when i talk to real estate agents particularly real estate investors contractors is almost like a swear word to most of them <laughs> Can you break it down? Like what, what is the process that an investor should go through when selecting a contract yeah. or setting the right expectations? Yeah. So we see that same pain point with homeowners, right? I walk in there and I am like, they don't know if they should say hello to me or kick me out, even though they have to hire me. Right. Cause yeah. they pretty much, a, if you had construction down your house, you've probably had a bad experience. Same thing with an investor. Right. And you know, the quickest thing that I think that, you know, people can look out for to vet a contractor, because the ultimate problem with contractors is their poor business service, right? So for investors, it's how do they interact? Are they answering the phone? Are they showing up to the job? It's the same exact thing for homeowners, just from a slightly different lens. So being able to see if they're on social media, kind of see kind of is this level playing ground. It's like, okay, do they care about what they do? Are they up to date with technology? So they're going to be able to send the investors emails because a lot, I'm sure a lot of times the people in this audience are out of state investors. Like they're going to need videos. They're going to want emails and they're not going to want to wait until their bill gets mailed or something like that. Right. So they're not going to do like a snail mail and paper that a lot of builders, contractors do that haven't been on the technology front and social media is kind of that nice level playing ground. So they go on somebody's social media account. Yeah. And what should they be looking for? I mean, obviously the type of work they do. Do they care about the work, right? And, you know, how frequently they're posting, right? 
they post like a couple times and just kind of throw it out there. You're also going to get to know like what this contractor is about, right? Do they care about it? Like if they show a video of their job site and they shot it, like is the job site a complete mess and lumber everywhere and disaster because that's going to show how they take care of the project. So a lot of what they should be looking for on the social media is consistency and also to gauge on who they're going to work with, right? Because if they're going to hire someone to do a project for two, three, and or for this massive rehab, six months, right? You should be at least aligned somewhat sort in the values and what they talk about on their social media. So let's talk about values. Hmm. What values do you guys have? And, and like, what values should people be aligned on in particular? So, I mean, our company core values dominate excellence, relationship, communication, integrity, right? I think for any construction company, integrity is and communication are the, probably the biggest values that anyone could have because they're also the biggest problems in the construction industry. So is the contractor going to do what he says he's going to do? And more importantly, is he going to do that when nobody's looking? Is he going to communicate open, clearly, and directly? I think those are two different things. And then like dominate for us, what that means is every day we show up, we're going to get it done and we're not going to make up excuses. We're not going to say, well, little Johnny didn't bring his ladder and this and, and that, and I can't do it today. I'll come back tomorrow. I'm glad you clarified because when you said the word dominate, like I resonate with that word because I want to yeah. dominate in business too. I would just put myself in the position of a homeowner. I'm like, if you're like, hey, my core values are to dominate, I'd be like, who are we dominating here? So yeah. I, I really appreciate that you're linking that to no excuses. Yeah, it's, so, it's showing up to win, man. Showing up to win. And the way that translates is the problems get solved, right? Is that like the end benefit? Obviously, you said no yeah. excuses. The benefit of no excuses is that there's no problem too big to solve. Exactly, right? Because if you're not winning every single day, that means you're showing up and you're accepting second place. Like, oh, we didn't get it done today because of blah, 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 right? And at the end of the day, they're all excuses, no matter how challenging those excuses are or not. But if you want to win your day, you have to overcome those excuses. How should homeowners, and we're not giving legal advice here or anything like that, but how should homeowners structure their agreements with contractors to protect themselves, but to create a, a good functioning working relationship? Yeah. So first of all, there should always be a contract in place. Always a contract. If there's no contract, I'm sorry, don't trust a handshake or just a proposal letter saying we're going to frame garage and attic you know, with two by fours, right? Like that's not a contract, right? You got to make sure that it's listed out how legal disputes are going to be made, how payments are going to be made, per percentage of disbursements, if there's a disbursement schedule, whether it's first and final, first progress payments and final, if it's a time materials or the billing rates, the more you put into that contract, the better, right? And a lot of that is both to protect the contractor but it's also going to protect you because you're going to know exactly what you're getting into. Highly recommend to read everything in there. So as far as like, do you recommend that people pay 20% upfront? Like what, how do they structure the upfront? If there's any middle payments and then the final payments. 
So what I believe, right, and coming back to knowing who you're working with, us on our end too, we're going to vet who our clients are, right? And making sure that we are in alignment with our values and we want to work with them. That's part one. And then once you feel comfortable with that, it then it puts into the contract of your disbursements. Now, with that being said, right, we operate our business on a cash basis. We don't do loans. We don't do debt. I don't have a lot of credit. So I'm okay with giving the grace of the homeowner saying, hey, listen, I don't need to be ahead of everything. You know, like I don't need 50% down on a $200,000 job to cover every single little penny and also have my profit in there. So I think from a homeowner standpoint, don't be afraid to give the contractor a fair amount of the money down so that way they can get their materials, they can pay for um, their guys' labor for that period of time a little bit. Um, and then if it's like a sub, and homeowners need to understand if they're working with a GC, the subcontractors are going to want 50% or, or a huge deposit down before they even start the work. So although like the you know, a contractor might ask for, for a large project, 30% down, if it's a big project, I mean, if it's a small project, they might just say 50%, right? Because it's only six grand, 30, three grand now, three grand there. But if it's a $50,000 job, depending on the materials, they might have to ask for 30% down or 40% down because the sub's going to ask for 10, you got 15 in material, and then you got another, you know, five in labor. Well, that's that 40%. So the GC is already out of pocket. So don't be yeah. afraid. You, you don't want to... From a homeowner investor standpoint, don't start off the relationship trying to burn them at the very beginning. So they're paying to build your job, your project. They're not your bank. It's a team and it's a relationship should be give and take. Maybe the homeowner's a little underwater at one point and then the contract is underwater, but over the line, it's kind of average and even. Yeah. So what would you say on most projects that you've done is the cost for you to get started? Is it 30%, 40%, 50%? So it, it really depends on the project, right? So if we're doing a deck um, or kitchen, right, where there's a lot of expensive items right up front, like if you're doing a deck, the deck boards alone might be a 10 grand or 15 grand expense. So I'm going to have to ask for 40%, like, because most of it's materials. Generally, though, the bigger the project, the less of the deposit payment needed. So if it's a $200,000, right? maybe the deposits 15 or 20% to go with there, right? If it's a small project, you're in the 50 to 40% range. And I think that that's a good way to understand it, right? Um, generally though, any large remodel over 50 grand, 20% down. I think that that's plenty. And after that, it just depends on what type of project it is. Yeah. And then as far as like adding in multiple payments along the way, is that is that more pain than it's worth or is is that also dependent on the size of the project? No, I, I think it, it, it depends on the size of the project and the duration of the project, right? If this is a two-week job, I'm sorry. Like, I don't want to have to write you three invoices. I'm going to say, we signed a contract. Here's this invoice. Give me some money when we're done. If it's a three-month project, there's probably going to be four payments, maybe five, depending on how fast we roll. I think from the owner standpoint, the more payments, the better, because that means there's more check marks that they have to accomplish before they get paid, right? So don't be afraid to see six disbursement payments 
on a hundred thousand dollar job and each one's you know 15 grand that's fine because basically all that is doing is saying you got to accomplish this you got to accomplish this check you got to accomplish this boom, boom boom check right so it's the duration right from a contractor standpoint i don't want to write an invoice every three days but i also need to get paid so that way i can cash flow the job does that help yeah. i know this is totally. this is really like hipto facto you know kind of thing if it's a kitchen remodel i'd say four payments yeah totally yeah this is super helpful because the number one thing that we hear from people that are asking us investment questions and the number one pain point i should say mm -hmm. is oftentimes with contractors what are some of the things that contractors put in agreements that should scare the living daylights out of homeowners um when they don't want to take responsibility for their work um if there is nothing in there about durations and schedules, if there's nothing in there about their insurance requirements, if there's nothing in there, if their contract does not, does not list their license, their contractor's license, those are some really big red flags. And then also you gotta, you gotta walk in there because I've seen a lot of contractors do this material escalation clause and these different things. I think that the change orders should be in there, right? How change orders are handled. Um, and then if there's a material escalation um, clause in there, basically saying, Hey, if materials went up 10%, um, you know, we're going to charge the difference. Well, they have to also produce some history at the start of the job. Whether it doesn't, that invoice, like, you know, their, their quote doesn't have to be in the contract, but it's certainly when they bring that conversation up should be backdated to the back, you know, the beginning of the project when they actually quoted it out. Yeah. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, Many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us and let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. And ideally in a perfect world, if they know all the materials they're using, here's a sheet of the materials, here's the pricing. So when we go to order, we just take that difference. And exactly. That's, that's what I do in our company. Like when I get into a job, I will either have a master, um, you know, sheet of like the price of one, two by four, the price of one, one by six and, you know, 50 different line items. And this is kind of like current material prices. Right. And then if I go into an order three or four months later, right. 
I get the same sheet and I said, okay, these six items, they doubled in cost. Like we got to have a conversation because now I just ran into a direct cost of seven grand more. I can't float this. Like that's all my profits yeah. for the job or whatever. So let's talk about duration. And then this will be one of the last questions and we'll go on to your story. So the duration should homeowners build in fees and penalties for contractors that aren't hitting timeframes? I, I don't think it's a bad thing to have that in there, right? Because because what should also be in there in that contract is what is an excusable delay yeah. and how do you communicate that, right? So if I said, hey, Matt, this project's going to be six weeks long, right? Let's go with the kitchen. Six weeks long. Well, it turns out that um, we ran into this issue that we lost two days, right? And it's an excusable delay because it turns out we had to install new subfloor and the framing underneath it was completely rotted out from a previous water leak, right? Coming back to the communication, the contractor should be saying, hey, listen, Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner or, or investor, we're going to lose about two days because of this issue that we just ran into. Or if it's a material thing, right? Um, hey, listen, the kitchen cabinets, they were supposed to be delivered on the 17th. <sighs> Again, they're coming in on the 27th. I, you know, we lost a week on, on the cabinetry. We're going to do everything we can to try to mitigate that week, that 10 days we lost. But right now it's looking like we just lost 10 days in the schedule. And now that that's that excusable delay in there. If the homeowner or the investor wants to put penalties in there because there was no communication and all of a sudden the contractor, especially in, in investments where like you're carrying a mortgage and you're waiting for the, the cash flow to come in and all these different things, you're projecting your returns based on the promise that the contractor gave. I don't see a problem with that. Like if I'm going to, because they should be putting, um, you know, especially from an investment standpoint, penalties in writing on what happens if they're late because that holds the contractor accountable, right? Because I'm not going to lie to you, Matt, and say it's going to be six when in the back of my mind, I knew it was going to be eight this entire time. Like I didn't, I'm not just telling you that to get the job, right? Because now I know that if it's eight weeks, I'm probably going to lose, you know, $1,500 every single week from penalties or whatever it is. Totally. It's going to force honesty in, in some way, or at least give it a better chance. Yeah. Force honesty. Yeah. And protection. Exactly. Let's dive into you as a person. So, I mean, you're young, you're hustling, you're in great shape. I know sometimes when people go into business, this is speaking from my own experience here, that the craziness of the thing can, can cause either yeah. stress or you'd be pulled in a million directions and a lot of things can go out the window like fitness, et cetera. Mm -hmm. How is it that you've been able to keep fit with your current growth trajectory? You know, it's, it's a daily challenge, just like everybody else that owns a business or is in high executive positions where some nights you got the 7 p.m. night and, you know, or, or the 9 p.m. night because you got to get the proposal out or whatever it may be, get stuck on a job. However, I've seen fitness and nutrition as the foundation of my life. And the way I take care of it is that I firmly believe we have to fill up our own cup first before we can pour it out into other people. So for me and my, the, my way my work schedule is and what I need to do to fill my cup every single day, I need to wake up at 420. I'm at, I take care of a few things, my personal, my morning routine, which is a blanket term for basically saying I do some gratitude, 
do prayer before I get my head straight. I go to, get to the gym at 5.30. I do my workout and I'm out the door at 7.30, 8 o'clock, depending on what I need to do. And I, I don't say everyone has to work out in the morning. I'm going to tell you though, when problems come up during the day, it's going to be on the back end of the day. And no one wants to go to the gym at 7.30 at night or 8 o'clock at night when they're used to going at 4.30 or 5. Yeah. 420 is a very specific number. Why 420? <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those things that's a weird number. It, it was 445 to make my schedule right. And then I wanted to add in this and then I needed that extra five minutes and then five minutes here. And for the last year, just it's 420. You know, I just it's yeah. the time that I need to get my stuff done and get ready for the day. What does your workout routine look like? Is it an hour? How much of that does time does it take up of your morning? Uh, I, listen, I love working out. It's not a chore for me. It's my grace period for the day. I would say it's a hobby, but it's really just a part of me. So my workouts are anywhere between an hour, hour and 15 minutes, you know, hour and 20. That's kind of like where it kind of comes down to. And for me, I lift seven days of the week. So in my stage of life right now, I don't have a wife and kids. So I'm at the gym Sunday to Sunday, you know, seven days of the week, I take care of my business. The weekends, I really don't do a different schedule, right? I think a lot of people make a mistake, especially when they're trying to pursue the, you know, the high performance, personal development, or build a business. They think the weekends don't matter and they just blow it off, right? They might take care of a little business, but like, oh, sleep in, it's Sunday, sleep in the nine, and you normally wake up at five. But the problem is you're destroying your habits and your routine. Even one day a week will do that. It's just like nutrition. Like you shouldn't be living for your cheat meal on Saturday night. Like if you're living for that, you're looking at the wrong perspective in life. So your eating methodology is the same seven days a week. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I used to switch it up. I mean, I go out to dinner. Like I'm not someone that doesn't go out to dinner and have live life and enjoy, right? Like I have ebbs and flows and nobody's perfect. There's days I'm off meal plan, right? There's days that, you know, like I lost, like <laughs> I get stressed out. I, part of my problem is I, when I get stressed out, I binge eat. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect whatsoever. When I get stressed out, you know, I've, I've put it on weight on a few months, right? But then, you know, you got to have the honesty with yourself and leave yourself in the mirrors. Like, where have I been slacking? Where have I been coming in second place, right? Oh, it's Patrick. It's because you've been stressed out. No big deal. But you got to stop overeating. So in that, when you recognize that you're stressed out, is the thought process, I need to work out harder to get rid of that stress. I need to do more breath work. Yeah. How do you manage your stress? Man, stress for me, I'm kind of addicted to stress in a bad way, right? I'm not bragging about that. It's, it's never good to be that, but that's my emotional home. So for me, when I feel like that I'm overstressed, it's not working out more because working out is a stressor, although it's a mental clarity and, you know, and, and brings you there. It's usually when I feel super stressed out and I just feel like destroyed, I still go to the gym. I still take care of, I still check the box. But, you know, instead of doing 10 reps because I'm and, and destroying myself, maybe I'll give myself and do eight and do nine, right? It's still super challenging. I'm still challenging myself but I'm not beating myself up. I'm not hating myself, right? If I overeat, a, you know, 500 calories ahead, I can't refuse chase cheesecake. Cheesecake is my weakness. Sorry, guys. I don't go wake up in the next morning. 
I'm skipping a meal, I'm working out an extra two hours, do the math, okay, that's 500 calories, I'm back on the plan, right? Reality, life doesn't really work like that because no one can track their calories perfectly. So I just accept life, man. We, we're all here to live and to be happy and love ourselves, right? So when we have those days we fall off, we pick up the next day, we get back on the wheel and don't make the same mistake twice in a row. Love it. It's a combination of being aware of how you are feeling and mm -hmm. also of fairly strict routine. So talk to us. You obviously got some big goals. I mean, you didn't come out swinging like this. Dominate is not a core value that's going to lead you to mediocrity. What What are some of the things that you're pushing for? Yeah. So, I mean, for me personally, I want to have a construction company that changes lives. I also want to get into real estate and development as I progress through the years. Um, probably what that means is that, like, personally, I want to have a seven-figure income. Um, net income, me personally, not for anything other than the value that I can provide to other people. I want to be able to build communities. I want to be able to donate to charities. I want to be able to say, hey, listen, I'm going to take my time off and go spend time with, you know, a bunch of middle, middle schools for the day, help change their lives and grow them, you know. So for my companies, I, you know, I want to have a thousand units under my, um, you know, ownership one day, right? Another thousand units in partnership. I mean, this is a 30 year goal, right? Eventually I want to build a living community, you know, a planned community. These are 15, 20 year goals, but that's where I'm going. Right. And what does that mean today? You back that all down this year. I'm, I'm, I'm planning to hit $2 million in sales, right? Double, double what I did last year. After that, it's going to be five, right? So I mapped this whole journey out of where I want to go based upon the life that I want to live. And quite frankly, that life I want to live is really just for my future family. I was raised in an amazing upbringing. Yeah, my father was a contractor. P.S. Not all contractors are broke. They make a lot of money, especially right. if they're successful. So I had an amazing childhood. I want to give that to my children and quite frankly, better. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of the greatest gifts you can give your parents, right, is take the effort that they put into you and take it to the next level and show yeah. them like, hey, I appreciate uh, what you've done for me. Mm -hmm. So th they say that all businesses are relatively similar in the sense that they're sales, marketing, operations, et cetera. But yet, I mean, in a family type structure where it's three generations, there's probably something more to it. Like, what do you get out of being in construction now that you're third generation? When you grow up second and third generation in construction, so my father started his company after dropping out of high school, out of necessity. I went to college. So you look at the generational gap, right? Like I'm doing better based on the work that my father put in. So now it's time for me to capitalize on that so I can continue this, right? And that's, that's my goal with that. But what do I get out of construction? It's easy for me. I know it, right? I know it like the back of my hand, right? I may not, I know all the basics on it. I grew up, you know, with my father going to work when I was a four or five year old, three year old, I came home. We had excavators on our property, right? Um, my dad's had a pickup truck his entire life. So I know construction really easily. And that allows me to take advantage of that and kind of have a 10 or 15 year jump that most people don't really get. I know the industry, I know the culture of the workers, right? Like when I step on a job site and there's a bunch of, you know, plumbers and carpenters, I know how to speak to them, respect them in the way that they 
deserve to be respected, right? Because I understand where they're coming from. They didn't have the privilege to go to an Ivy League college and learn about, you know, proper grammar and all these different stuff and live a white collar lifestyle. They grew up very, very differently. And when you look at it from that lens and you understand that lens, like, yeah, they're going to be cursing because they live a different lifestyle, right? And that's fine. It's all walks of life and all walks of people. So a lot of times when parents are, you know, exposing their kids to their business, a lot of times they can go really south and the kids want nothing to do with the business. And, and that mm-hmm. could be personality and so on and so forth. Yeah. What are some of the things that your dad did really well that allowed you to fall in love with construction that maybe we could pass on to all the entrepreneurs listening so that they can hopefully have their kids get the same benefit? My father gave me love, period. And that was when I was working for him and everything in between. So yeah, sixth grade, I started officially working for him every single summer because I legally could. I started sweeping floors. He dropped me off, go sweep the floors. But guess what? He came back around lunchtime, brought me lunch, sat down, took the time with me, you know, kind of showed me around the job site, introduced me to workers. So it became a friendly environment. It became an environment I wanted to come back to, right? There wasn't the stress of like, you know, beating me up and saying, you got to do this and yelling and screaming and all those different things. Even when I made mistakes, right? I made some really big mistakes in high school, middle school, working for him. But both as a great business owner and a father, he used it as a teaching lesson. It's like, okay, we're going to take care of this five or 10 grand mistake, but here's what happened, right? And I think a lot of times in family and businesses is that Kids get steered away because of what they see, how the life of their father living or their mother living, the stress, the chaos, the anxiety, and then they go to go into that or hearing them complain about the industry, complain, blah, 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 blah. And then it's like, why would I ever want to do that? I don't want to do that. Right. But what I saw is I saw the good in it. I saw the beauty. I saw the creations he was having. So it brought me in and welcomed me. Did it, did you have those moments? I think every dad has these moments where like, Hey, I built that house. Hey, I built that house. I, I get it to, to this day. Cause my dad's still in business today. And we'll be like, I'll be like, Oh, cause, cause we're in the same market. Right. It's like, Oh, I'm putting a uh, bit on this, this house over here. Blah, blah, blah. And he goes, Oh, like, I think I built that like 20 years ago. Is it this, this, and this? And I'm like, like because my my father actually grew up in this area right same zip code same town went to the same high school i did so he he knows all the properties and it's it's crazy like that we'll be driving down like growing up like oh yeah i built that house oh yeah we did a huge renovation over there and like oh mr so-and-so great customer you know we did this that so it's, it's it's like every day it's like memory lane and somehow he knows like it seems like every single house on the road Love this. You mentioned pre-show that you're you're planning on moving from your hometown to somewhere yeah. warmer. Yeah. Um, give us give us some insight. Where do you project that you'll end up, both living and uh, what's your like five or ten year vision of where you're going to be at? Yeah. So what that basically means is that I'm going to continue on my construction business up here. Um, in that duration, we're going to build out the team, build the structure to make sure that we can still service the community up here and really produce a huge vision. I think when I move, I'm never going to be completely outside of New York. I think it's just going to be getting away from the, you know, the colder weather in the winter and then traveling up to make sure my, and and quality control my team, making sure that they're running properly, right. 
making sure they're executing on the core values that it was built upon and then moving, right? So right now I'm kind of in this, I North Carolina and South Carolina look great. I like it down there. Texas and Florida are uh, on the list too. I haven't narrowed it down spe specifically, although I'd be very, very happy in those states. And I think what it really comes down to is specific zip codes and you know where it actually plant my flag next is where's my first deal going to be and that'll really help me out in determining the area because honestly for me the moving is just like i don't do good in the cold my hands lock up i'm less happy i like the sunlight i like being outside so if i can get that more time of the year i'll be a happy camper Awesome. Patrick, thank you so much for sharing about your life and your business. There's so much to take away. People write down some of these tips that you can use with contractors to hopefully negotiate not just a good deal for yourself, but a good deal for both sides. Uh, thank you for pouring in and giving us a glimpse of your family too. I really appreciate that dynamic. Guys, write something down, share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you'll be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 